bit emotional. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, because you get bored in here and you're always trying to figure out what your weird things your professors do and you take tallies, how many times they do weird things. You can take tallies for how many metaphors I use in this sermon because that's kind of what I'm known for. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, man, bring me back to Top Gun. I was like, it's nice to have the invitation. The cold orders, Maverick. You guys see that movie? Yeah? Yeah, I'm like the old guy, right? And I'm like, I feel like, man, getting back in the, getting back in the saddle here. And does anybody know whose bag this is? Because we're also supposed to, not really, but I'm looking at it like that. We need to know what all the bags are, if there are bags up the front, right? Because all the dangerous things. That was our job, right? And I looked, I'm like, well, there's a bag there. So if you left your bag, it's up here. It'll be there when you're done. But, you know, the old spirit within me says, is that safe? Do we know whose bag that is? It's like coming back to Top Gun, the best of the best. And I'm excited to be here, an old guy, if you will, coming back to fly an old plane that is all so familiar. And it's, and it's really exciting, and it's great. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, yeah, so, you know, speakers all do this because we don't know each other, so we throw up our family so you can sort of relate to people. It's how you start. So I'll throw my family up there. You can see a picture of, we got that picture up there? Maybe, maybe not. It's really just for this group over here who actually know me, the five people. There they are. So when I started here, I didn't have any kids, and now I got, you know, I, I call her my spiritual sniper on the left there, Olivia. She's, uh, she's, um, She's deadly. She is. She will take on any rancher out there. She throws hay, bay, hay, hay bales, shovels manure, grabs people from hell without, you know, the old Jude thing. But they, she grabs people who are going out so that even the, the scent of smut fire is not on her. But it's manure, right? She's like grabbing people through her equine ministry. That's what she's going to be going into, studying equine ministry. Uh, but she is, a, she is a powerhouse at her school. And uh, she, is, she is an introvert, but she will pick you off for the kingdom if you are sitting alone, right? And then on, on the right side, McKenna, she's, she'll be 16 here soon. Uh, she's my spiritual assassin. Uh, she is one of the best orators in the state of Minnesota as a champion speech uh, person. And while she is, um, you know, kind of her thing, she will, she's kind of like Black Widow in the Avengers, man. She looks all nice on the outside, but she'll have you down and out in a heartbeat if you try to take her on. And after she's done leading worship, uh, she's out there arguing with someone about whether they're right or wrong. And so that's kind of exciting. And the shield maiden in the middle, my wife Katie, she's been a, a wonderful woman in my life, 25 years this year we've been married. She's a partner at a CPA firm in Wyzetta, of one of uh, 11 partners. Actually, goes up to 14 soon. She was the second female partner, and, uh, you know, she gives all her assassin skills to my daughter because she's also not a person you want to take on unless you've got your numbers all ready to go. But that's, and the, and the guy in the middle there, well, he's just a wilderness wanderer. That's what I call that guy. And uh, I, I, I uh, find myself aligning more with uh, the prophets in the Bible that kind of duck in and out of the story uh, more than a main character. And so I get the opportunity to duck back into your story today. And I hope that as we spend some time, uh, that what the Lord has laid on my heart, that I'm just very excited about to share with you this morning, that it's something that you can take away uh, with you. So here we go. You ready? 
You with me? It's Wednesday, man. It's like the graveyard shift of, of chapel, right? I know. I was there when we changed it all. It's like Wednesday. You know, what we do Wednesday? But you're here. God's got you here. I got you here. And we're going to learn something today. It's going to be good. So here's, here's how we're going to start this thing, okay? We're going to put their head up like this, lean to the right. See if you can locate what's called your sternocleidomastoid muscle. Yeah, right here. You guys might not know this as a way of introduction. You find it. It's this muscle right here. There's one on this side, too. Right? You got two of them. It's attached to your sternum and your, and your clavicle, and then it goes up the back here, and it goes up and attaches to your mastoid. That's your head, okay? That's, that's that bit, sternocleidomastoid muscle, okay? For those of you who don't know, I didn't do this in the introduction. I'm a, I'm a therapist, mental health therapist. That's what I do full-time now, uh, seeing clients. But I also do sports psychology as a part of my niche market that I do. And in my spiritual application, when God called me into ministry, and I thought I had to, you know, kick down the gates of hell and do all the pastoral things. And I'm like, I don't want to kick any doors down. I don't want to sit next to myself on an airplane reading Max Licato so I can win someone to the lost. Yeah, that's not my thing. I don't know if God's called me. God said, you have been called to be a medic in the army of the Lord. So I am a spiritual medic, which means I spend a lot of time helping people that are bleeding out, that are hurting, that are broken. And so we do a lot of work with muscles, and we do a lot of work with, you know, tourniquets, stop the bleed, bring in the healing, send them back out onto the front. That's kind of my, my calling. So I want to talk to you about a muscle called the sternocleidomastoid muscle right here in your neck, okay? Now, this muscle here, you can pull this muscle, right? It's usually damaged if you're in a car accident, sporting injury, something like that. But do you know that the number one thing that causes problems with the sternomastoid, uh, sternocleidomastoid muscle is actually due to bad posture. Yeah, bad posture. So this muscle that actually, you know, now we're not going to have a conversation about how much you're on your phones, but you can go there if you need to. But, um, you know, this muscle has to do with, everyone do this? Can you do that? Can, can you do this? Yeah, that, that is stretching that, that muscle there, right? Now, one of the things that we do here at North Central is we develop leaders. That's the big thing, right? You are leaders, your impact is your world changes. And if you're going to be a world changer, if you're going to be a great leader, you can't just work on the guns, right? You can't just do that. You've got other muscles, actually 650 muscles in your body that have names that I don't know all the names, but one of them is this one, right, with that weird name. And so we're going to work today on this little tiny muscle on either side of our neck and the spiritual application of what we're going to do. If you've got your Bibles with you, it used to be a saying back before we had technology, if you have your Bibles with you, and you should, still in there, right? I want to turn to a story that we're probably all very familiar with, uh, found in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, I would use my Bible. I brought it up here. It's more of a prop, I think, than it is because now I do not, I cannot read my Bible when I'm on stage. I learned that the hard way one time, and so I have to take my glasses off, so I have it printed out here, and you'll have it on the screen. But I want to read for you uh, this passage from 2 Kings. Before we do, let's open with prayer. Lord, we come to you today. We ask that you would make this word relevant to us. We ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. Lord, you have a word that is specific for today, that will change our lives today, forevermore, 
And help us, Lord, to use this and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter he took to, Israel, took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. In 1936, a gentleman by the name of Dale Carnegie wrote a very famous book entitled How to Win Friends and Influence People. It has like 30 different tips in there. I highly recommend reading it. It's quite good. It's a little bit timeless. There's a few things in there that are a bit dodgy, but by and large, it's just a good book to have on your leadership shelf. But as I thought about what I want to share with you today, I wanted to say that this book really was inf- uh, uh, instrumental in this concept, but it wasn't. It was just what jumped into my mind. But when I talk to my kids and when I see the people that I work with, there's one thing that starts to come up when I say, what do you want to do? With your life, what are your goals? What do you want to be? What, what do you want to be when you grow up type thing? And I never heard this when I was growing up, but I now hear it all the time. And it says, I want to be an influencer. You know what? An inf- I never knew what an influencer was. I want to be an influencer. In fact, when I talk to my kids, I'm like, who is that that you're scrolling through? And you're, oh, Dad, this is an influencer. I'm like, what is an influencer? Oh, you know, they're people that we live our lives vicariously through and never measure up to. Right? They're called influencers. Right? And, and, and I'm like, well, who's that girl over there? So, well, that's one of the class influencers. She's an influencer. He's an influencer. Right? I do not have the shoes that Joshua has or that John Carlos has wherever he went. They came in. They're looking. I'm like, look at that. But I might have to go get some. 
you know, I'm kind of feeling influenced, like I'm a little bit out, man. I don't have those Nikes, man. I need to get a pair of those, right? I'd be too paranoid about getting creases in them because I don't really care about the creases, and then I would get kicked out because that's not how it works, right? Influences. But there's this statement that an influencer kind of possesses. They automatically have this kind of power differential. They have kind of this idea of more respect. And in some ways, with influences, we kind of put them in a position of better than me. We live in a culture that to stand out or be significant, we must be influential. In fact, I meet with people who aspire to be influencers all the time, and it's like they get, I want to get paid for people to pay attention to me. Right? That's, that's what I want. That's my pay. Influence today is a currency of significance. As leaders, we strive to be at the front, the cutting edge. As socialites, we try to find creative ways to draw attention to our world. Suddenly, we are, being stre- we are strengthening the underlying current, the pull of pride, which damages the essence of true relationship and true connection. Yet this striving has let us feel more alone, more disconnected, and more depressed than ever before. In fact, I, w- I read recently that one guy said this striving to to be connected and to be influenced has actually caused us to be more disconnected with ourselves. I entitled this message, Reflecting at the Door, Leading Under Influence. My premise or thought is this. In a world that values significance and power as manifest through influence, do we overlook and underdevelop the important role of allowing influence into our life. Said it maybe in a different way, we are taught to lead effectively, is to perhaps control others, to be significant. You must be able to influence others to see it and do it my way, your way, your product. However, I believe that the greatest leaders, the greatest women, the greatest men, the greatest creators are those who have a strong relationship with allowing others, the right others, to influence them. In our text, we saw a slave girl, a slave and a girl, influence her mistress, who then went and influenced her husband, who then went and influenced a king, who then tried to influence another king who had a meltdown, right? There was influence along this way. Naaman, this valiant man, led a slave girl, and to quote, the good movie Gladiator, right? Because I quote that all the time. I am a slave. What possible difference can I make? Today I saw a slave become more powerful than the emperor of Rome, right? You haven't seen that movie. You need to go watch it. It's a great movie. Yeah, Dr. Graham knows all about my, my thing with, with Gladiator, right? A slave girl influences a mistress. A mistress influences a valiant man or husband who influences a king. But then that same man who was allowing himself to be influenced, shows up and he goes to a doorway and a messenger comes to the doorway and he says, go do this very simple task. And he says, who are you? You insignificant thing. I thought that this is how it was going to go. I thought that this is how it should be. And I went away in a rage. One thing I tell people and you, when, when I work with people about frustration, anger, right? Frustration is unmet expectations. 
Frustration is unmet expectations. I'm frustrated with my faculty member because I expected you to give me some kind of extra credit. <laughs> because I expected that you'd give, increase my deadline, and I am mad. Why are you mad at me? I gave you the syllabus. I have this thing because I expected that this would go a different way. Right? We get mad. Proverbs 10.7 says, Whoever heeds instruction, or perhaps influence, is on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Our posture around influences is to hold the power. That's what influence is, rather than to yield to the power. It is often a posture of pride over a posture of humility that prevents us from truly being effective in our relationships and our calling. And that's nothing new. We saw in Genesis in, in chapter 4, verse 6, Cain, right? Cain goes to offer a sacrifice to, to God, and, and Abel s- sacrifices his, his lamb and his, and his fat from his, from his sheep. And then Cain, he grew from the soil, and he, he provided a, a, a sacrifice to the Lord of his first fruits. And the Lord said, this is, this is not good. This is not, this is not appropriate. This is not what I want. And then Cain gets mad. He's very angry, it says. And then God says to him, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And God says to each of us in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door Pretty annoying, isn't it? Does it? Am I trying to influence you to say, "Stop, Todd! Stop doing that. That's annoying." You know why you knock at the door? I'm influencing you to open the dumb thing, right? <laughs> I stand at that door, knocking, influencing. Will you let me influence you? As Christ followers, we too often stand at many doorways, like Naaman. Whether it's the Holy Spirit calling to your heart to influence you, or if it's a friend or a coworker or a spouse, are you a person who is open to letting others inform your decisions because you have a posture of humility over pride? People who value and respect the influence of others stand at an open door of cultivating humility. And to help us with this, we have a little acronym because I love acronyms. I got a lot of them. Because it helps me remember. If you're not real great at, I was never real good at retaining information, which is why I have metaphors and lots of different things. Right? So I had to find all these different ways to remember information. And I do like how, I do like a little acronyms. So here's our open door to humility and our open door or a closed door to pride. If you have an open door and a heart posture to humility, you start with this decision. I decide ahead of time that I'm going to listen to others, recognize that I don't have all the answers, that I value being in relationship And this makes me wiser, not less than. But it starts with the decision. It's an openness. I come to situations with an openness to other people's thoughts, feelings, intuition, possibilities, and needs. I'm open to the detour sometimes of doing things different to what I initially thought. To see the Holy Spirit do something amazing in my life or in my situation. The open door of humility is one that is one of observation. I look for those who are turning towards me, wanting to help me reach my goals by offering more to my process. 
I acknowledge their input, their motives, and their ideas because it is helpful to my life. And I'm ready and receptive. I approach new ideas, new information with a heart posture that this could be helpful to me rather than an interruption to my preconceived ideas or an infringement upon my rights. An open door to humility. Yet there is another door. Doors swing on a hinge, right? They go both ways. They open and they close. But sometimes in our spiritual application, sometimes in our stance, we close the door or we refuse to open that door. And the person who does not value or respect the influence of others stands at a closed door cultivating pride. And the door on this side is dismissive. Nothing you have to offer me. In fact, you have nothing to say to me. And what you say is irritating. It's disruptive. And it threatens who I am and what I want and what my goals are. That a person who has a closed door is opposed from the from the outset, I do not accept what it is you're offering or saying to me. If you're not for me, then you must be against me because you will not do it my way. They're oblivious. Oblivious people, they cannot see beyond the feelings of the moment. I cannot problem solve or see possibility. I miss any effort to join with me, but instead I continue with my one-track way of thinking. And finally, A closed door is resistant. I'm resistant to letting someone else tell me how I should act or think or proceed. My needs and desires and quest for happiness are the only thing that matter. And I will do it myself. As a leader, do you stand at open doors when you see and talk to the people in your groups, your friends, your leaders that are above you, your professors? Or do you have a closed door in your life? The challenge today is not about allowing everything and anything to influence you. Remember, I was talking about this little muscle here. right? If I wanted to say how to be a great, now I do sports psychology. I, I spend most of my time in doing golf. right? That's one of my, my, ga- my things. And, uh, and I always tell people, I can't help you with golf until you can actually hit a ball. And you can get it off the tee. And you can swing a club. And you got to have all that stuff. right? But once you get good enough, Then come to me, and I will help you develop a muscle that will take you into winning championships. Because that muscle is a different muscle than what it means to actually play golf. If you want to be an effective leader, an effective friend, an effective spouse, you've got to start paying attention to different muscle groups than the the big ones. We must guard against evil. We must protect our heart. We must pray on all occasions. However, leaders must develop muscle to pay to, to be most effective and to be spiritually healthy. How do you let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God influence you? Do you stand at an open or a closed door? Is your relationship with Christ the very source of who you are and what you do? Or is, is this journey here to, to get yourself on a stage and, and to get people to listen to you and to have a platform? How much Do you turn to godly advisors and allow people on your team to speak into your decisions for the benefit of all? Is what you are known for as a leader someone who allows influence? Or are you a leader who through insecurity is more about giving, is is hesitant to give away power to those you surround yourself with? So let's go back to the sternocleidomastoid muscle. 
This muscle allows your head to go up and down. This is also the universal sign <laughs> of influence, of agreement. In fact, as a dad, we have this thing in our home where I say, you know, it's, it, my wife doesn't like this, but it's, it's kind of true. So, you know, it's like I kind of be, I'm the parent that leads from a position of yes well, until you give me a reason to say no. My wife tends to be more on the I'm no until you give me a reason to say yes. I don't know if you had parents like this, but my kids will come and say, can I have, some, when they're little, can I have someone come over and play today? And I'll say yes, absolutely, because I don't want to play with you, so let's bring someone else over. That's fantastic, right? And they come over, right? And they do it. And then the next day, they come back to me and they say, can I have another friend come over? And my automatic answer is yes. And my wife will say no. And I'm like, why? And she'll say, because you had someone over yesterday. Well, that was yesterday. You know, it's a new day, new blessings, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Well, you know, it's just, it's a lot of work running people. I don't care. Let's, let's say, yeah. Like, I always came from a position of how do I say yes? Give me a reason to say no. Some people go from a position of my answer is always no unless you give me a reason to say yes, right? But this muscle, this up and down muscle, right? I found it interesting because the number one thing that hurts this muscle is bad posture. It's bad posture. And spiritually, I think this is the case too. It's our heart posture that is going to affect your relationship with influence. It's also this muscle when misaligned that's going to cause. So this muscle here, when it's when in real life, like spiritually and real life, when this muscle's hurting, it affects your vision. It affects uh, your, I don't want to get all these right, vision. Your hearing is attached to this muscle. You get headaches. And the one I like the best is it, situations that create a pain in the neck, right? Because that's like leadership too. It's like, this is a pain in the neck. Well, what's your relationship with influence like, right? But I love this. It affects vision and it affects hearing. I don't have good vision. I don't have good, I can't hear what things are saying if this muscle is not aligned correctly. And I'm going to have our, our keys, worship team, who, no, the, whole, the whole team doesn't come, the keys can come up if you want. Because, you know, I, I learned this from here, and I do, you know, the, probably get said a lot, cause I, but I do like it. The worship team is like your salvation, right? It's like, oh, finally, you're almost done. When they brought that guy back up, then it means we're almost wrapping up. So we all kind of stretch our sternocleido mastoid a little bit better, right? So, so one of the things, there's a few things that happen at North Central that I know. One is, is sometimes there's a formula to, to people that come and get the opportunity to guest speak. And I was really trying to stay away from that formula because I used to hear that all the time. You know, they talk about three things. You know, I'm like, I don't want to talk about any of those three things. I want to bring something new. I want to bring a challenge. Now, I'm not a, I'm not, I, this will sound maybe funny too. I decided when I, I went to seminary and I was going to be a pastor, that's what I called. And I was, I was like, you, you can play, you make me nervous. Go, go ahead or turn him on or whatever you'll do. Um, just it's a, a Valentine mood, spiritual mood music. Um, so when I, when I was gone, I, did, I decided that I didn't have a five-fold ministry. You know, we talk about that, and you could have a five-fold ministry. And I was looking, man, I was trying to figure out, I can't even fold a bed sheet. I don't know how to fold it five times. Um, there, was a, there was just a few things I had, and, and one of the things was teaching, right? And the other part that I had, and this gets me in trouble a lot, was a, was a prophetic gifting, right? 
don't come and ask me if I've got a special word for you because that happened last time I said that in this chapel. And I was like, why do people keep asking me if I've got extra for them? It's not that kind of prophetic word. But as a therapist, as a counselor, there's a lot of things that God lays on my heart that I just feel is the spirit of God saying, you need to go here and you need to talk about this. Okay? But teaching is one. And so I want to teach you something. Right? We, we can have altar time, but we won't have an altar call because this is not an altar call message. But you can spend time at the altar if you need to come down to the great chiropractor down here and get a realignment. Okay, you can do that. But there's another thing that when you speak on Valentine's Day, it's like, well, now we've got to come in for the relationship chapel because it's Valentine's Day and everybody who's single hates it. <laughs> Everyone who's dating is like, I love it. But I'm sitting in the front row with my notes, man. Going to get some, some stuff from my relationship. But... Yeah, it wouldn't be Valentine's Day if we didn't tuck a little bit of relation stuff in there, right? So I want to tell you something about some counseling stuff. There's a famous researcher now by the name of Dr. John Gottman. And uh, Gottman, he, he was this researcher who's done this research for over 30 years. He's been doing this stuff. And he built this, before Big Brother was around, he built this, this apartment where he would bring couples in. And he'd put strap them up to, to heart monitors and... and uh, you know, blood pressure and all this stuff, cameras, and they would study how couples interact with each other. They would send them in for a weekend. They said, just talk about your stuff. And they'd watch them argue and they'd watch them talk and they'd, they'd, wa- and they'd do it, you know, all of their different stuff. And for 30 years, they've studied over 40,000 couples. And now the Gottman Institute prides itself with saying they have a 94% accuracy rate deciding or telling you whether a, a, a marriage will last beyond the three-year run. 94% accuracy based on watching how the couple interacts in their research. They found something out through this study that when people got divorced, there was something else that was interesting that came up. For those who got divorced, those divorced couples shared something that was almost 80% in common with these divorced couples. The thing that was common within those who got a divorce was this one thing. The husbands would not allow their wives to influence them. Their husbands would not allow. Now, women need to allow influence too, but it seemed like through the research that women kind of figured this bit out a little bit better, that they allowed influence into their life. For men, that was one of the telltale factors that I don't ask my wife what her opinion is, and if she does, she's wrong. That I don't really care what she thinks. I can make my own decision. I'm the man of this house. I can do this thing. Right? In fact, there's a story they talk about. Goes and buys a car. And he says, well, I need to take the car over the the pits and get it checked out. Because I told my wife before I bought a car, I would always have that done. And the guy says to him, you ask your wife how to buy a car? And he said, don't you ask yours? He goes, no, I'm divorced. He goes, well, maybe if you ask your wife, you might not be divorced. Right? He goes, but here's the deal. I told my wife that I will not do anything until we're in agreement on this. But many times it's not. And I thought that's really interesting as a man. I can't talk to you ladies because I'm not a lady. I can only talk to you as men. Figure out your relationship with influence because it can change your life. In your marriages, in your relationships. Learn how to yield to win. Stand with me. As we close, I 
Our story today ends in verse 14, and it says that Naaman went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored. If you want restoration in your life, learn to lead under influence. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity in this time. Lord, I know that you use this stage, this platform, this altar for a lot of different things in this, this amazing school. People's lives are changed here because they find you. People's lives are changed here because you touch them and you heal them. People's lives are changed here because you set them free. And people's lives are changed here because you teach them something new. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may be yielded to you. That we may bend the knee to your influence. Lord, I break the binds and the chains of pride that wrap around our lives because we are human, we are broken, we are fallen. The great sin was when we put ourselves above you, when we said we don't need your influence, when we can do this on our own. And yet you come to us as a heavenly father and you warn us, you say, be careful, for sin crouches at your door. But you got this. You know how to handle this. Do well, do right, and it will be well. And that you are here with us. You are our Heavenly Father who gives us all blessing and good things. You are our Savior, Jesus, who walks beside us through every situation. And you are the Holy Spirit that is within us, giving us boldness and courage to do things that we've never done before. Allow us, Lord, to be believers, Christ followers, under your influence as you call us into the work that you have specifically for each and every person in this room today. May your blessing rest on this people in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks, guys, for uh, letting me fly the jet again. And uh, be encouraged today. Give someone a hug or a high five or a COVID wave from six feet if that's what you need to do. Love you guys.